Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Let's Talk CFL Podcast. Roundtable discussion recorded live on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Visit Let's Talk CFL on Facebook for showtime. Brought to you by the Let's Talk Sports Groups on Facebook. Our partners, LostWolfOnSports.com. Stream live on BlogTalkRadio.com. Well, good evening and welcome, CFL fans. What a cr- awesome weekend of football this Labor Day. And good evening and welcome to the Let's Talk CFL podcast, episode 277. Uh, I am currently your host, Charles Cliff, who's in right now uh, on uh, Monday night. And I'm not sure Christopher is not with us right now. He may join us later. I'm not sure. But we are here regardless to break down the past week in the CFL. It was an outstanding week of football in the Canadian Football League. So um, uh, it was a good week in the CFL, an exciting week in the CFL. And, yeah, what uh, all four games really this week were outstanding. It was one of the best Labor Day weekends I can remember in recent memory. All of them close. Um, even if you look at the score of today's game, it looks like it was a bit of a, a one-sided game, the uh, Hamilton-Bronner game. It wasn't like that at all. It was close right through into the fourth quarter. So very entertaining week of football. And uh, we're here to talk about it for the next few hours. Uh, We're just having a few quick technical difficulties um, right now. But uh, we are getting up and running. we got two people waiting on hold here. So let's bring them into the show tonight. And uh, I will do that right now. So let's go 403. So let's go to Alberta. He's happy with how his team played today, and let's bring Will onto the line. Good evening, Will. How are you tonight? I'm good. What? I'm happy with the way my team played? Well, they got the, uh, okay. win. Well, they got the win. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. But to me, we against gotta... Edmonton on to me against Edmonton on Labor Day, it's not a win if you don't destroy them, okay? So, yeah, well, but it's I'll funny, ta- too. I'll because... take the win. Yes. Yeah. It's funny, too, because uh, it was um, a lot of times uh, when you get to the Labor Day game, the game in Calgary a lot of times can be very one-sided in favor of the Stampeders. Yep. Even when the teams are yep. competitive and when they're battling for first place, oftentimes that first game in at McMahon is one-sided, but it really wasn't today. It was wow. a nail-biter right down to the last play. It was, and I, and I did see some things from the Stampeders today that impressed me. They got uh, they got punched in the face a whole bunch today, and they still kept on coming. So that's they, they uh, that's a character builder for them. They uh, they lost some guys today in key situations, and they still kept on coming. So mm-hmm. hey, I guess a win is a win. Yep. And uh, as always, as always, Alex Singleton was outstanding, and I think uh, he's slowly becoming the man in Calgary. I think he's the most important player on the Stampeders these days. So, mm-hmm. Well, he's one of the uh, top defensive players in the league, I would say, right now, right right up at the top there. So 
and he yep. is a very important piece for that Calgary team. The other thing is I think maybe the Stampeders got rid of Charleston Hughes one year too soon. One year too early, yeah. Because uh, they don't seem to have a lot of pass rush like they did with him. But, I mean, he's got 10 sacks already or whatever it is. So Right. But, on the other hand, they there's a salary cap, so there's not much you can yeah. do about that. So, That's true. There you go. Yep. All right, so well, look, we're going to move on now into Manitoba and talk to someone who's probably not all that thrilled with how his team played over the Labor Day weekend. They lost in Regina. Good evening, Mark. Hello there. And you know what? I'm not that upset with how the football went this weekend. It was fun games all around. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, there wasn't a blowout in the game. It looked like the Toronto game today was, but it wasn't at all. You know, four no. minutes to go or five minutes to go, it was still a one-touchdown game. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Bombers lost and some put a damper on it. But, uh, hey, I got to watch good football. That's all I care, really, when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm entertained. Yeah, that's true. And it was entertaining. In fact, I would say that all of the games this weekend were very entertaining um, for one way or another. I thought they were all very good football games. You know, I got to watch Harris run rampant for at least yep. three quarters. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yep. Unfortunately, the fourth quarter is where he kind of fell off, and that's where that game kind of fell apart. Yeah. You got away from it. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yep. But it was an entertaining weekend, and we're here to bring it all down. Like I said, I'm not sure where CJ is tonight, whether he was going to be joining us or not, but as it is, we will press on and move forward with uh, tonight's show. So we'll just do this here. You know, these buttons never work for me. I don't know why. Maybe I should just leave them out of the equation because they're not doing anything. So it shows that it's playing, but it's not. So that was fun. Okay, so let's just move on to the first game. The hell with the buttons. As I was saying, uh, let's move on to game one. <laughs> and it seems, I don't know, this Montreal-Ottawa game seems like a week ago. It seems, I know it's only been like three games, but it seems like a long time ago. I guess it's just that long weekend thing and all the other games were either yesterday and today. I don't know, it seems like a long time ago, but it it was the Montreal Alouettes winning their second game in a row, believe it or not, under the guidance of Antonio Pipkin. Uh, they get another win on the road this time in Ottawa, and they knock off the Ottawa Red Blacks by a score of 21-11. to Another big win for Montreal, and all of a sudden, if you look at the standings in the Eastern Division, they're getting closer to the rest of the pack. Their games, they're not done yet in terms of um, um, 
in terms of the playoffs. They're right in the mix all of a sudden. So very interesting there. Will, you saw this game. What did you think of it? Well, you know what? I did watch most of this game. Um, <coughs> you know what? Montreal is slowly, slowly becoming a team, and it's an amazing thing if you have a decent quarterback. How much, how much that makes a difference? Okay, this uh, this Pipkin guy. I mean, number one, he's only twenty three years old. Um, he can chuck that ball down the field. That's for sure. Okay, he's got an arm and a half on him. And uh, he's he's played well at his first, uh, and I mean they're they're two and one with him at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, me personally, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy. I think you play Pipkin until he stops winning, mm-hmm. and maybe give Johnny Manziel a bit of a break. And and I mean he's concussed, so that can take a long time. But I mean, Pipkin. If if you know if Manziel doesn't work out, Pipkin is a very good alternative. There's no doubt about it because he yep. has looked like he has looked like a professional. And the thing I like about him most is he's a really emotional guy, and it's like he it, it sees that this team plays for him, and and it's quite impressive. So it was it was an entertaining game the other night. Very Ottawa and uh Ottawa and uh Montreal. Montreal. I don't know yeah, I don't know if did you put an agenda up, Charles, or not? Yes I did. Oh you did. Yep. Okay. So is part of that agenda about what's his face from Ottawa who got suspended today or not? Yes, yeah, it okay. that, yes, it is for sure. <laughs> okay, because uh, that hit on B.J. Cunningham was absolutely atrocious, and uh, I, I, I cannot believe that this guy's still getting away with this stuff. And uh, yep. he did the same thing earlier in the season, but we'll talk about that later. But hey, right. it was an overall good good effort by Montreal, and. I don't know what the standings look like, but does Montreal still have a chance? I'm pretty sure they do. Oh, absolutely because, they do. They're because right in the they middle. Are in, they are in the East, and we know how weak the East can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. So don't be counting Montreal out yet, anybody. Because, uh, what is it? They're, well, sh- crap, they're, uh, they're, uh, <laughs> Wow, they're, they're right three there. And, they're three and eight, and now Mon- and Toronto is three and seven. That's uh, wow. <laughs> so they could very easily make a playoff game. Yep. Huh. That would be an interesting story. Go ahead. Who, who would have thought? I just chime in here. Who would have thought that at the midway point of the season, the Montreal Alouettes would be in points tied with the defending Grey Cup champions. I don't think anyone would have thought that. Not anybody here, that's for sure. I know, I Definitely. didn't. Uh, 
I thought Toronto was going to win the East. I thought they were. I thought Toronto was going to be one of the best teams in the league. It's sure not looking that way, is it? Nope, not at all. Nope, not at all. All right, Mark, your thoughts on the Montreal Ottawa game? Well, first, to be fair to Toronto, they did lose Ricky Ray pretty early. Yeah, so True. they've. Uh, and McLeod Bethel Thompson or whatever has come down to earth a bit, but we'll talk about that later. Um, what impressed me most, and it's been it's been their winning streak, is not so much Pipkin. He's been very serviceable, but their defense is finally playing the way we thought, or at least I thought they would. You know, Bowman only registered, I think it was two tackles with one sack, but he was in Harris's face all game. Harris never had time to sit back and throw the football. And when he did, Cox was all over the defensive, the receivers. He had a monster game with eight tackles to lead them. Uh, I thought really it was the defense is finally stepping up and showing what they can play like. It's mm-hmm. taken, you know, it took them eight or nine games to get there. And they definitely need that right now with Pipkin. He's played well, but he's also showing that he is a 23-year-old rookie on some of his throws. He's got a gun. I love his arm. But he makes some ill-advised throws at times, which they're going to do. And Ryder Stone, um, first off, I'll say, who? Never heard of the kid. You know, he came out and sort of was running really well for them, had some huge runs. Uh, Pipkin made some really nice, timely runs, too. So they're finally hitting on, for them, all cylinders. I think this is more what we were kind of expecting out of Montreal, that they were going to be competitive in games. And they're, they're winning in the East, which is important. And yet they are tied for third, but they are four points back in the crossover. So it's not so much catching Toronto. Now they have to catch Winnipeg which might not be that hard to do the way it's going. Right now. Um, <laughs> you know, they do have a game coming up with Winnipeg, so that is a huge game coming up. Um, no, there shouldn't be a quarterback controversy. Well, you're right there, but it is Montreal, so who knows. But we will talk about that, I think, too, after. Uh, no, I thought Montreal really was full marks. And once again, Trevor Harris is 500 yards in offense or 250, 260 yards on offense, and it's all between the 20s. 11 points. You know, he's, I don't know, do you call him hit and miss? Do you just simply call him mediocre? Yep. Because he's got the receivers there. He's got one of the best running backs on the CFL. Use these guys. Don't throw all these long bombs. Get it going to Ellingson long, deep. That's their big play is Ellingson deep. And it doesn't always work. And when it doesn't, he gets the yards, but that's it. Doesn't get the wins. He still, I still don't like him. Never will, I don't think, at this point. He's established his, what his modus operandi is. Throw the ball to Ellingson and hope he gets all the yak yards. And Montreal shut down more or less, shut down Ellingson, didn't let him get all the yak yards. And really their defense is what won the game. You know, Will's right. Pipkin, his excitement is rubbing off on the team. We're watching a beat-up John Bowman 
with a torn tricep muscle three weeks ago, a month ago. He was off for, what, two weeks? Like, that's just, and the way, he, I think he's actually playing better than he was at the start of the season when he was healthier. Mm-hmm. So I think the excitement from that kid is rubbing off on all the old guys on the team, and it's really, really helping. Well, no, they were definitely full marks. So. That's about it. Hmm. Well, three or four weeks ago, if uh, you were saying that you were going to play the Montreal Alouettes, it was as good as a gimme. It's not that case anymore. The Montreal Alouettes have completely uh, seemed rejuvenated with Antonio Pipkin at uh, the controls. Um, uh, seems that Ernest Jackson is seemingly uh, kind of um, has kind of been rejuvenated there. He had a big game with a good game with 80 yards. And, yeah, this right is tr- stone. I don't know who he is, but he had a good game, very good game, Four, 14 carries for 81 yards. Pipkin to go along with his 242 yards passing, also rushed for 75 yards. So he was very big contributing into the offense. And, yeah, again, on the other side of the ball, Trevor Harris, mediocre. That's a good way, mediocre, inconsistent average because he's up one game and down down the next. Only 54% completion, 270 yards. I mean... That's not anything to write home about, uh, even though uh, Greg Ellingson did have a big game, eight catches for 140 yards, but that was about it. William Powell got held to 50 yards. Uh, he needs to have more than that. But again, and this was a theme that I talked about last week, they didn't give William Powell the ball enough. He only carried the ball nine yard, nine times. And when you've got good top-notch running backs, they need to be into the double digits on rushes. Uh, or you're not using them effectively. You just aren't. Look at Ryder Stone, 14 carries. Much better numbers than William Powell had. So, And, um, yeah, Chip Cox is showing that he's not done. Uh, a lot of people thought it was kind of ridiculous for the Alouettes to bring back Chip Cox uh, because he's, uh, he is up there in age, but he, had, he led the Alouettes with eight tackles in this game. So uh, he's not done yet. And neither are the Alouettes. Um, they're at least in the discussion when it comes to the playoffs, which we haven't been able to see in recent seasons. And like I said, they're now tied with the Grey Cup champions with uh, uh, with uh, six points. And now Toronto does have a game in hand on Montreal. I just looked at, but hey, I mean that's not a guarantee. If you win that, uh, if you lose that game, then you're no further ahead. So certainly uh, an encouraging. Um, period here for Montreal. We'll see what happens going forward. I think they go into a bye now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the Alouettes um, can take their back-to-back wins and uh, keep preparing. And uh, It looks like Montreal has got their quarterback for right now, and uh, Johnny Football, we all thought he was going to be the uh, the starter finally for Montreal, but as it looks like right now, Unless I'm wrong and something changes, it doesn't look like he's going to be seeing the field anytime soon. So we'll see what happens going forward. So uh, 22 to 11, Montreal beats Ottawa. Does anyone there have the scores, or does CJ have all of those? I don't have them. I think Will, don't you write no. them down? 
No, I didn't write them down last week. So. Okay, so we'll have to go through, and maybe on Wednesday night or something we can figure out who won. I'm pretty days. sure I'm the only person who picked Montreal, though. Uh, I know I didn't pick Montreal. I picked Ottawa for sure. So I know I didn't sure. pick Montreal. Yeah, no, I know I did. No. So I'm pretty sure we'll won this one. But anyways, we'll move on to the next game. So let's go do that. Talk CFL. All right, that was one of the times where it actually worked. Okay, game two. Um, we've got in the. This is the game yesterday, the only game yesterday at uh, Mosaic Stadium in Saskatchewan. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers went into Saskatchewan hoping to take a win from their arch nemesis, and it didn't quite happen. The uh, Rough Riders knocked off the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 31-23, to an eight-point victory. It was a one-score, close game, very entertaining game. But uh, still some problems there in Winnipeg, certainly, uh, I think, on the offensive side of the ball and whatnot. But uh, we'll start it off and uh, go with um, Mark. You saw this game, the Bombers, your team, they fall 31-23 to Winnipeg. How did you see this one? I saw this as being frustrated as hell. Mm-hmm. The defense, I thought, played great until, of course, the last few minutes of the game. But, you know, in the first three quarters and nine-tenths of the fourth quarter, they really held Saskatchewan down. You know, really both defenses played really well, other than um, Harris got dinged up in the third quarter. But he only ran the ball 15 times, and he had 150 yards. He had a 10-yard average. That's the best I've seen him play this year, and Nichols will, yeah, when you have the ball twice in the last five minutes of the game, you have to get points. You just, And you're down, you have to get points. And he got nothing. Yeah, um, really, Saskatchewan, I almost call it smoke and mirrors because they're winning it on defense and special teams. Our special team coverage yesterday was terrible. And that used to be one of the big things that we could do was we always held guys. And we had no kick returns, no punt returns. Saskatchewan got a punt return touchdown. We got a pick six on the first play of the game. I did like the way the Bombers battled back from that. I thought, oh, God, it's going to be another 24-3 first quarter like it was last year. Yeah, I really liked how the defense played. Um Big Hill was all over the field again. Santos Knox was all over the field again. Caleros, especially in the first half, had no time. You know, uh, to me, it came down to quarterbacking in the second half and changes that were made in the second half by the coaches. Bombers were definitely outcoached in the second half. And they came out, uh, the Saskatchewan came out, changed up how they were doing offensive plays, and Richie Hall didn't change anything. We'll just keep doing the same thing. If anything, they stopped blitzing, which is really is Richie Hall's modus operandi. That's what he loves to do. Did um, everybody back 10 yards. And Saskatchewan took full advantage of it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was a highly entertaining game, but a highly frustrating game as a Bomber fan. 
they the, all the pressure in the world is on them now in the Banjo Bowl this weekend coming up because they can't fall any further behind. And Saskatchewan, their defense may drag that mediocre offense into second place and keep them there. Yeah, because none of us really expect Edmonton to do much the rest of the season. Yeah. Right now, it's that, that game was there for the taking for the Bombers, and that's what frustrated me the most. That game was right there. You've got Harris running like a madman. Adams was finally catching some really nice balls. They were mixing Stribbler in a little bit. He threw for a touchdown that Adams, uh, I think it was Adams, made a great catch on and then they just stopped. It's like, okay, well, we're okay in the first half. Yeah, we'll just do the exact same thing, and it bit them. Is really what it came down to. I'm just hoping Harris is good to go for next week because we're going to need him bad. Oh, and you know Saskatchewan's defense didn't do a ton when, like, I'm shocked. Sam Hurl led them in tackles with six. I think it was six he had. I don't know if he's ever led a team in tackles. Uh, it's it was a weird game. Charleston Hughes was everywhere. Uh-huh. He, you know, a lot of blame comes down on Nichols, but there was a lot of times where he got the ball looked up and there was Hughes right in his face. And we did lose an offensive lineman, hopefully not too badly, Fakedi who's backing up for Hardrick, who's injured, got injured. So now we're into the third string there. And I thought Couture did okay, but that's where they did actually move Hughes a couple of times, I think, to the other side to go against him. So, you know, it was smart coaching in Saskatchewan. Really smart coaching is what beat us. Smart coaching and smart quarterbacking in the fourth quarter. That's about it. Like I say, it it was a highly entertaining game. I loved watching Harris run. Well, he was a monster. But our special teams and quarterbacking killed us. That's it. Will, your thoughts? My thoughts are, you know what? My thoughts are not unlike Mark's. It was a very frustrating game. And Winnipeg lost, and... Quite truthfully, I think Saskatchewan is easily beatable. Um, I, uh, I mean, Saskatchewan's offense sucks. Okay, you you might think Kolaris is playing well, and he is, but their offense is going nowhere. And I I don't know how they won the last three games. Quite truthfully, but they have Winnipeg second half they didn't seem to have a lot of pushback and I I don't understand what's going on with that team I mean Andrew Harris ran well therefore that means the therefore for what the hello hello I think Alvin is hello you sounded like a chipmunk there for a second oh really weird you're fine now, but it was just weird. Oh, well, that was my impersonation of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yep. Anyways, you were great, um, by the way. 
I'm I'm hoping somebody from America's Got Talent is listening to our show. Anyways, uh, and I would be really frustrated if I was a Bomber fan because that game was very easily winnable, and and I don't understand why their passing game is not working better. It worked better than it did the week before, and I think I think Matt Nichols was better than he was the week before against Calgary. Um, but they still didn't win, and man, they're in tough because they got to go back to uh, or they got to play Saskatchewan again. But I, I still believe Saskatchewan is beatable, and I, I, I know Calgary or Winnipeg has a couple of games against Edmonton, and I really believe Edmonton is beatable. So I don't think they're out of it yet, but. They better hurry up. And I would agree with Mark that uh, Mike O'Shea or Richie Hall or whoever didn't make the right adjustments at halftime because they got outcoached in the second half. Mm-hmm. And so there you go. I mean, that's an important game for Winnipeg. And you got to hate losing to Saskatchewan. I know I do. So go ahead, Charles. Well, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here and say, had the Bombers not lost Andrew Harris in the third quarter, and had they had him for the fourth quarter, I think that they win that game. Because Andrew Harris was virtually unstoppable on the ground. Mark said it. He had a 15-yard average. Once he went down, the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense flatlined. And it sure as hell wasn't going to be Matt Nichols uh, who um, who put that team on his back uh, and win that game. He doesn't do that. Um, I thought Matt Nichols would look very shaky. I think Matt Nichols looks. He's starting to remind me. I made this comment the other day. He is starting to remind me more and more of Zach Kolaros in Hamilton last year. He looks shaky, and he looks like he's a quarterback playing with very little confidence right now. Um, of course, according to Bob Irving, he was solid. 55% ain't solid. Neither is 166 yards and two picks. Don't be such a homer, Bob. But... Um, the defense of the Bombers played well until the fourth quarter hit. Then they flatlined because they were able to uh, give points to the um, to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, and let them take over the game. So they played well until the fourth, and then it just became, uh, Saskatchewan took the game over. So uh, it was a good game, an entertaining game, and. I'm sorry, it's time for um, uh, the Bombers, and I think it's time for um, Mike O'Shea to make a change at quarterback. Uh, I Actually, you know what, I'm not going to go into this because this is coming up here, um, and I don't want to, this is coming up in the agenda, so I won't go far this way. Let's just say that that game was there for taking in the Bombers, and I know, I think it's now three wins in a row for Saskatchewan, 
but they don't look like a dominant team by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, all three of those games that they've won the three in a row, they could have very easily, just as easily, lost those games. So let's not try and make them into some sort of dynasty yet. They're winning. Their defense is playing fairly well. But those games very easily could have gone the other way. So don't kid yourself. Uh, but what it is what it is. They got the they got the points, and they might they might just um, be able to take over the um, um, second place there because Edmonton's really struggling right now too. So, anyways, it was thirty-one twenty-three for the Riders over the Bombers. A good football game, an entertaining football game, like all the games were this week. Uh, anybody else have anything to say on the on this game? No, I'm good. I'll save it for yep. the Nichols thing later on. All right. Yep. All right. So if that's the case, we are going to move on to the doubleheader from earlier today. And I'm going to hold on to Talk CFL. Okay. Anyway, so moving on to the next uh, game today, a doubleheader that happened today. Uh, so around noon this noon today our time, one o'clock in Calgary, we had the Calgary Stampeders hosting the Edmonton Eskimos, and this one turned out to be a nail biter, with a capital N going all the way down to the last game of the uh, last play of the game, and it's the Calgary Stampeders, the home team, coming away with the victory. Three of the four winners this week were home teams. Only Ottawa lost at home. But the home team pulled one out in a close battle. The Bombers, or excuse me, the uh, Stampeders beat the Eskimos 23-20. to Renee Paredes with the winning field goal on the final play of the game. Will, you were at this game live earlier today, so I'm going to let you start on this game because you saw it in person. Well... On my way to the game, <laughs> there's a torrential downpour, and it's eight. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a horrible day to sit outside for three hours. And by the time I parked my car and walked to the stadium, the rain stopped. It got a little warmer out, and it didn't rain for the whole game. So Yeah, I was going to say it looked pretty nice uh, from what I saw on TV. It was gorgeous, but on the way there, it looked horrible. So that's, you know, they say in Calgary, weather changes in 15 minutes, just look out the window, and that's what happened. Yep. So it was. Uh, I was expecting a rainy day game, and it wasn't. So, you know, Calgary, I mean, you got to give Edmonton credit. They played, I thought they played okay. Calgary played okay. Um, Bo Levi seemed to be a little bit off today. Um, his receivers were a little bit off today, but the various Daniels had a pretty good game. I think he had at least 150 yards receiving. Um, their running game, I think they were over 100 yards in their running game. And I, I think the Stamps uh, sustained some pretty big injuries today. Um I know Bo Levi came back, but uh, Kamar Jordan, you know, you can always tell on a player's face 
when he knows he has a serious injury before they do any x-rays or anything. And he was not a happy guy. So I kind of got a feeling he's a long-term injury. Um, Siante Evans, I think he might be, Siante Evans, I think he might be a bit of a long-term injury as well. So, um, but they, uh, it seemed that whenever Edmonton didn't, did anything, Calgary came back and did something, to oppose them, and so they eventually won the game. But that could have been anybody's game, bottom line. Um, Mike Riley, he wasn't great today, but I think that had a lot to do with the Stampeders' defense. And uh, so, hey, a win is a win. That's what I always say. They got the win. Um, I think it might be a bit of a different story in Edmonton on Saturday next week. So we shall see. But like I said, they got a win. That's all I care about. There you go. Yeah, go they got the win, all right. Yeah, that's the the main stat that counts. So, uh, I guess so. hard to hard to argue that. Uh, Mark, uh, you saw this one too. Uh, what did you think of this game, Calgary and Edmonton? It really was a hard hitting. It's what you expect from the two teams. They were knocking each other around really hard, and. Will, did you feel lightheaded when um, Bo Levi Mitchell went down? Because I'm pretty sure every bit of oxygen got sucked out of that stadium when he was holding his knee. Cause I, they uh, showed... Go ahead. I always get I always get lightheaded when Bo Levi goes down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, I was just I was just watching the replay, and nobody hit him. He jammed his knee. Oh when yeah, he, was he jammed running. his knee. Yeah. Yep. And to, to me, that says that his knee is not even close to hundred percent. And I'm I'm wondering why he isn't wearing the brace anymore. Oh, I, he was I wearing it after that. A, yeah, I know. But before that, he was not, and that's more yeah. of a bull Levi. I'm indestructible kind of thing. So yeah, I was. Trust me, if if Bo Levi if Bo Levi goes down, the season's over. It's that simple. Arbuckle did look okay Real when he came in. Arbuckle looked okay. Yeah, he was he in for two plays. Really nice pass. Well, no, he, but he made some nice passes, and he didn't do anything yes, dumb he when did. he was in. Yeah, and that's what no, you want from a guy not. who's that young. But he did the not, big injury so. is for Edmonton. If Terrell Walker's out any length of time. Oh yeah, when, yeah. But when they he said, went down, they said they said he was walking around afterwards. So yeah, but when he went down, when he went out. Uh, I guess Calgary just double covered Duke, Duke Williams, and they shut down Edmonton completely. Mm-hmm. Edmonton yeah. had no answer when Terrell Walker went down. You know, he's a huge part of that offense. Yeah, you know, Kamar Jordan—that's a big loss going forward if it is long term. And you're right, it didn't look good. But they've got guys that can come in and fill in. They've got Tavares Daniels. They've got a few other guys that can help. Uh, but for the game, really, it was – you were right. It, every time Edmonton did something, whether Calgary only got a field goal or just made some yards and then made a complete stop the next time Edmonton had the ball, they had a pushback every single time. And, you see, I – you know – Everybody says this year, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, 
he he's he's not that good and and his offensive line is great in my opinion his offensive line has not been that good this year no they haven't because he's he's gotten sacked and he's taken some hits and that didn't happen the last two years no and i don't know if that's a inferior offensive line or if defensive players are getting better I don't know what to say. So they got to shore that up, or he's not going to last the whole season. Not with hits like that, no. He did, he took some big no, hits yeah. again today. You know, he's getting hit really. a whole lot more than he has in previous years. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, it was entertaining to watch in that it was a close game, and they were hitting the hell out of each other. And there was tons of smack talk. And, and again, Calgary's running game looked good. I don't know yep. why they don't go more to the running game and stick with it more because that will help Mitchell stay away from the hits. And who knows, maybe they will in, in, later in the season. In Willie's wonderful I was gonna say in Willie's wonderful world <laughs> when when uh when Bo Levi went down, I thought to myself, I wonder if they have a sweater for Jeff Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that dude had such an ego. I'm pretty sure he thinks he can still play. So, oh, I'm sure he does. And he did look in, he did look in pretty good shape. So, he did say that Bo Levi Mitchell is the best quarterback in the CFL. So, yeah, well, Bo Levi Mitchell's his buddy. So, yeah, you think? You know, <laughs> there's not, a, there's no Homer thing there, not at all. Yeah. Uh, but no, you know what? It was a really entertaining game. They were hitting the hell out of each other. And Calgary did what they do. Mm-hmm. They win. And yeah. everybody can make the comments about November and that, but Calgary did what they do. They win these close games. They've got the coaching, whether it's head coach, whether it's assistant coaches, coordinators. From the top down, their coaching staff's best in the CFL, bar none. And they they Edmonton got outcoached. You know, they went to the one-trick pony too many times with Duke Williams mm-hmm. in the second half. That's all they had. They don't really have a running game. Well, I was going to say they had to because Jarrell Walker was out. Yeah, but they don't have a running game. No, they and, don't. And when you don't have a good receiving core or somebody gets injured, you have to have that running game. And that showed up. And going forward, if Jarrell Walker's out, Edmonton's going to be tough to even get to fourth. Winnipeg might even be able to get ahead of them. If without Darrell Walker, because Zilstra is not coming back. So going yeah. forward after this game, there were some big injuries in this game, both sides. But that's about it. Go ahead, Charles. All right. Okay, so yeah, this one was a really um, close game. It was back and forth. I thought this was a very entertaining game. Um, I thought that um, at times both um, the offense had uh, their moments and the defense had their moments on both sides. Um, I think uh, the the where it was won and lost was in the second half. Like we said, when Darrell Walker went down, this is kind of a similar. I think Edmonton, you can draw parallels with what happened to Winnipeg because their offense dropped off when they lost Andrew Harris. Well, Edmonton's defense dropped off when Darrell Walker went down. 
and they were just uh, at that point. Um, um, at that point, they really the Calgary defense focused on uh, Duke Williams, and once he was t- taken out of the equation, once Darrell Walker was taken out of the equation with the injury, the Eskimos had nothing because they don't, like you said, Mark, they don't have a running game. Actually, to be perfectly honest, though, neither one of these teams has very much of a running game. The Stampeders, they throw everything or. 90% of their stuff through the air, they have not had a huge running presence for most of this season. But um, Sam Peters, they're a good football team, and they're probably the best in the CFL, or I think definitely best in the CFL, because let's face it, they did not have a stellar game. It was by no uh, means a masterpiece uh, for them or for anybody else, for that matter, uh, the Eskimos included. But they find a way to win. Good teams find ways to win. And that's what the Calgary Stampeders did today. Uh, It was a back-and-forth game. Neither team was really playing all that well uh, on offense, but they played well enough uh, to get the last three points of the game, and that's all you need to get, and then you get the W. So while it wasn't a masterpiece, while it wasn't a dominating performance, Calgary still got the win. But... um, like Will said, if we see a similar game next week in Edmonton at Commonwealth, you might see the result go the other way uh, because it was that close. So um, I think it was a very um, entertaining football game, no question. And Calgary just sneaks out the win just um, again. So um, they're full point for it. So a good football game, entertaining football game. And Calgary's up to 9-1, nine, nine and one, so... There you have that one. So anyone else uh, got anything more to add on to this? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. All right, let's move on. I'm having some internet issues, so I'm not even going to bother pressing any buttons here. Uh, so let's go on to the next game. And the final game of the week, well, this one just ended a couple of hours ago, uh, had the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, hosting the Toronto Argonauts, their main rival in the province of Ontario, and the Tiger Cats pull out a win. Now this game, the the I think the final score is a little bit misleading in this game because I thought it was a closer game than what the final score indicates. Uh, Hamilton win this one, forty-two to twenty-eight. Um, the game was very close into the fourth quarter, but uh, the uh, Ty Cats were able to pull up uh, two late touchdowns to pull away in the end. So, um, 42-28. So, let's start with Will on this one. Will, what did you think of this? I don't know how much you saw of it because you were probably making your way home from the game at McMahon. So, But uh, what you did see, uh, what were your thoughts? You know what? I'm going to completely opt out of this. I haven't watched any of the game. All right. Because um, I, I came back from the game and... My wife really gets upset at me if I spend four hours at a football game and then come home and watch football. So <laughs> I didn't watch any of this game. I'll have to watch it this week. All right, fair so, enough. I'll pass. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, Mark, what were your thoughts on this uh, Hamilton-Toronto game? This, I thought, really was the best game of the weekend from an offensive standpoint and even defensive. You know, you look at the scores and go, wow, 
there was no defense in this game. Yet there was a lot of defense. Mm-hmm. But um, it, once again, it's another step in every what used to be our favorite whipping boy on the podcast in Brandon Banks. He had nine catches and 135 yards, and he wasn't even the top receiver. You know, Tasker had 143 yards, and then he had almost 80 yards in yak yards. Um, Hamilton can be dangerous when they play like this, and especially when they mix in the running game like they did today. Finally, like they keep saying June Jones and his run and shoot, but all it's been really is Masoli running and shoot. There hasn't really been the run and shoot where this game was. Uh-huh. Um, what did Green end up with? Yeah, he had 18 yards. Yeah, on 18 carries. So he had an almost six-and-a-half-yard average. And that's what they've been needing for the last little while is a running game. So hopefully they stick to this because every time he touched the ball, he was a threat to take it a long way. And they really used him properly. And again, Brandon Banks is slowly but surely becoming one of the top receivers in the league. He's a little guy, but he made some moves today where he was running full out, stopped on a dime, and went out to the, and went out to the sidelines. And the defensive backs for Toronto were just, holy crap. You know, they've turned their hips to start running to try to keep up with them, and all of a sudden he was heading to the sidelines and making these catches. And I thought their defense really came to play today. And they, I'm wondering if with McLeod Bethel-Thompson, because he really, you know, Toronto had 28 points, but, you know, we said Nichols looked bad. He had a 40, he was 48.3%. Yeah, he, I think teams have gotten game film on him now. Mm-hmm. And... He really, he was trying. He was trying to get the ball out there, but he was really ineffective. Wilder Jr. was back down again. You know, he only he only ran the ball 11 times, but he had a four-yard average, 4.3. And that's not what we're supposed to expect out of him. So really, you could say Toronto and Winnipeg are carbon copies. Without the running game, they're not much. And the running game wasn't really working for Toronto today, and it showed. Uh, Hamilton made some huge key stops in the fourth quarter. And I think they got the ball back. I think the game was still tied with nine minutes to go. Yeah, it was. And they got the ball back, and they ran the ball in for a touchdown. But they took four and a half or five minutes off the clock. It was just great to see the time management from them finally and using a running game and just doing it properly. Hamilton could make some noise if they keep playing like this. Yes, they played Toronto, who are starting to come back down to earth, I think. But if they keep going forward like this, they could make some noise come playoffs. Yeah, it, it is the East, let's face it. Um, really, Hamilton fully deserved the win. You know, yeah, it was a lot closer than what it shows on the scoreboard. But 
I, it was highly entertaining. Again, lots of tough, tough hits. I think it's just Labor Day just brings out the full animosity in the fans and the players, even the ones that are new to the league. You know, this is for the young guys from the States. This is like a college game against one of their rivals. So they can get into it real quick. But I'm just enjoying watching not so much Masoli, but Brandon Banks. I'm really enjoying watching him as a receiver. Because, man, he gets open. Oh, he's gone. He still has that speed. That's about it. Like I say, fully entertained and. Hamilton fully deserved the win. And McLeod Bethel-Thompson is coming back down to earth. Maybe we'll see James Franklin again. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, it's funny that you bring that up there, uh, Mark, because I was looking at it, and the Toronto Argonauts produced three offensive touchdowns in this football game. On every touchdown play, James Franklin was the quarterback. He ran for two and passed the other one. So that was yep. kind of interesting. So uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who's been the golden boy for the last three weeks, uh, he didn't produce any points, or at least uh, he didn't. none of the plays he was quarterbacking anyways. Uh, and I'm, I'm not being critical of him because he has played well up until now. This is by far his worst game of the season since taking over the starting job from Franklin. But he was actually fairly ineffective in this football game. And his numbers, he didn't even hit 50%. On the other side of the ball, this might have been the best uh, I've seen the uh, Thai Cats offense. They spread the ball around. So they had a 350-plus-yard passer, a 100-plus-yard rusher, and 200-plus-yard receivers. So they were getting big-time contributions by multiple players on that offense, and it showed. They come out of it with a 14-point win, a double-digit win against the rivals. Now, it was, like I said, it was closer than the score indicates. Uh, it's a 14-point game, but I believe Hamilton got two touchdowns in the final six minutes, and up until then they were trailing or tied. Uh, it was an extremely entertaining game, and I – like I said before, I think all of the Labor Day games this week, this is one of the best Labor Day weekends, I think, in recent memory because all of the Labor Day games were entertaining. None were blowouts. There were no uh, teams getting steamrolled. And this game, I think you may be right, Mark. I think this might have been the best game of the weekend. Uh, I'd say either this one or the Winnipeg-Saskatchewan one uh, were the best games. And... Hey, Hamilton came up big. They made the plays when they needed to make them, uh, which the Argos could not match them. They were matching them for a while, but they really took the uh, game over in the fourth quarter, uh, outscoring the Argos 18 to nothing in the fourth quarter. So uh, if you're getting outscored like that in the fourth quarter, you're not going to win too, too many games, and they didn't win this one. And, uh, yeah, is McLeod Bethel-Thompson now coming down to earth? They've got some game film on them. Well, I don't know. I don't want to just say that right off the bat. But you know what? Um, they do have game film. They do know somewhat of his um, his um, playing style and so on right now. So let's see as we go forward. Uh, I guess these guys have a rematch next week. 
let's see if the uh, Ticats defense can do the same things to them. And um, it'll be interesting. So I think it's um, it's going to be interesting. I think three of the four games uh, from this week, there are rematches next week. The only one that's not going to be a rematch is Montreal-Ottawa. Montreal's got the bye week, and Ottawa comes here to play the Lions. So the other three is a rematch. And I always like to see the rematches and see how they compare to the first game because it's very rare that, uh, especially in that where you see the uh, uh, a team sweep. Uh, it takes a lot to sweep a team and stuff like that. Uh, so we'll see where it's going. Of course, we got the Banjo Bowl, which is kind of the uh, the big game for next week. So let's see what happens going forward. So I'll be interested to see that. So anyone else with anything on the Hamilton-Toronto game? No, I'm good. Will, you good too? Yeah, I'm good. All right, so that's a wrap on the four games. Like I said, four very close, entertaining games. And... Um, it's time to uh, move it along. All righty then. Um, I'm having some issues with my internet right now, so I'm having problems pulling up my uh, agenda. Here it is. That was easy enough. Okay, so next segment. This is one I'm kind of looking forward to. Kyrie Bear has been suspended yet again. Is it time for the league to get a whole lot tougher with him because he is a continuous reoffender? And if you didn't see it, Kyrie Zebert had a brutal hit on Montreal receiver B.J. Cunningham. And, of course, the league has come down with a two-game suspension on the Kyrie Zebert. So, um... A lot of people are saying, you know what, that's just not harsh enough. This guy's done it before, and uh, it's time to do something drastic to this guy. And um, I think they may be right, but uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until I let the others speak. So let's go to Will. I know you've got some opinions on this, Will, because you went on a bit of a rant on it the other night uh, after the game. So what are your thoughts on the on Kyrie Zaber? Well, you know what? And maybe five or ten years ago, I would have liked kids like this because it was part of the game. But I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I see guys get injured. But, I mean, let's face it. B.J. Cunningham was close to the sidelines. Tyrese Haber left his feet and led with his head and hit him right in the side of the head. And I'm glad the referees caught it and they gave him a penalty for it because it deserved to have a penalty. Um, this is his second offense this year. He did that to Devarius Daniels from Calgary as well in a game. And, and to me, he is absolutely trying to injure guys. Okay. And I, I, I can't believe a guy who's played in this league for so many years wants to injure somebody and take their livelihood away from them. I, I don't know what kind of a person he is. I can just assume that he's not a real great human being. And after his after his suspension, after hitting Devarius Daniels, he said he wasn't going to change his game style. And I guess that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Because he just did the same thing. I, I, 
I think the next time he should be he should be suspended for the rest of the season if there is a next time, and I'm hoping there's not. But something has to be done about a guy like that because he doesn't give a shit. And and you would think that maybe the players would get together and and deal with the guy, but that obviously hasn't happened either. So I just don't think there's any place in it for in football right now because guys could get serious head injuries. We we won't get into John Cornish's career being over because of a because of Kyrie's Hebert dirty shots. So um I don't know. I, I'm glad they suspended him for two games and next time it should be for the rest of the season. That's all. Mark your thoughts. Well, Will, you're saying that the players should maybe get together and do something, and why haven't they? Nick Lewis came out and defended them. Yeah, I know. You know, saying that, you know, it's an eight, basically an $8,000 fine for them, and it's, you know, it's $100,000, and it hurts his livelihood. And Sorry, but blah, fucking blah. When he's deliberately headshotting guys, when all he had to do was push him, he had to lay a hand on him, and he was going out of bounds. He was almost out of bounds as it was. All he had yep. to do was give him a shove. But yep. no, like you said, he leaves his seat, and I've watched it on a GIF. He actually, not only is he leading with his head, he lowers his head just before the impact. So he knows yep. exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he does. You know, obviously an $8,000 fine from the two-game suspension doesn't bother this guy. So give him a 10-game suspension. Really make it hurt. And for Nick Lewis to come out and defend him, saying that it hurts his pocketbook and it hurts his family, well, whose fault is that? It sure as hell isn't Cunningham's fault. That would be his own fault fault. The guy is just, he could care less who he hurts. He wants the big hit. That's how he's played his whole career, even back when he was in Winnipeg, when he first started in the CFL. That's how he's been his whole career. He's not going to change, even though he, the last time he got suspended, he said, okay, you know, the league's going to be watching me. i got to be careful. Well, obviously, I don't think about it. I think that's his biggest problem. He just doesn't think. He just wants that huge hit, and he's going to do whatever he can to do it. If you're doing it, mm-mm, you know, that just barely crossing the line, kind of like what a Loffler does or something like that, okay, you can understand that. But to just blatantly, at one after the other, after the other with these headshots, he is going to kill somebody eventually with the way the equipment is now. You know, you said, well, that you're kind of getting old, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't that bad of a hit. But their equipment and their helmets didn't have the shock absorbers they do today. Yep. These guys are wearing, it's like in hockey, they're wearing suits of armor. They're not wearing football equipment. Charles, you're younger than us. The football mm-hmm. equipment's probably what a hundred times different from when you played. Oh, way, way different, and they're, yeah. they're, it evolves every year. Yeah, they're wearing suits of armor, so they're not going to get hurt when they do these things, or they don't think they will. 
How, what happens in 20 years when all these headshots he's given out catch up to him? Is he then going to pull an Arlen Bruce and sue the league for stuff that he's well, you know, deliberately doing? You know, I, I don't have a problem with a guy. Okay, I mean, I'm an old school football guy, and, and, and I football is a contact sport. And when, when you're taught to, to deliver blows, you're taught to deliver blows hard. I have no problem with a guy hitting somebody hard in the heat of the battle when all they're trying to do is take him down. But the other night, I mean, all he had to do was push him out of bounds. Yeah, that's all he had to do. And it would have been over. But he intentionally tried to hurt him. And I I just don't like that. And I, I... I bet you he's not a quality person. I'm just, I'm just saying, and I don't know the guy from the next guy, but it just, to me, it goes to character. And, you know, I mean, I used to, you know, people always talk about, uh, Christopher Jones always mentions this, and, and Nick Lewis used to have the comeback hits on, on defensive players, and he used to absolutely blow people up. And a lot of people didn't like those hits. Quite honestly, I loved those hits. They're more of a block than a tackle. But if it's, like I said, if it's a borderline hit, you know, like Loeffler, when he decides to lay somebody out, mm-hmm. he did it in the Ryder game. He just destroyed one of the receivers from behind. Now the receiver got up and went, oh, mother, that hurt. And they both slapped each other on the head and walked back to each other's huddle. That's football. Football is not leaving your feet, putting your arms behind you, and hitting a guy in the head with your helmet. That's not football. No. I, I played football, too. That's not football. It's just that's intent to injure. It's Eventually, he's going to scramble somebody or he's going to break their neck with one of these hits because the guy's going to go down wrong when, when one of these hits. He's going to be out cold. When he goes down, and he's going to break his neck. And then what is he going to say? And even when he got the penalty, he puts his arms like, like, what did I do wrong? Hello? Do you, and you I was, I was gonna, he almost knocked his head off. Yeah. I was going to mention to some of the people who replied to my posts, you people have no clue, because I'm all about football being a contact sport. And... There's no place in the game for those kind of hits, and no, we're not going to put flags on everybody. Okay, you, you I'm, didn't I'm, get I'm my sorry. point. I am so sick of people saying crap like that. It's yeah, so ridiculous. Grow up, people. I know. Anyways. Yeah, no, go ahead, Charles. It's your turn. Look, just because we want to make the game safer because we don't want people getting paralyzed and, you know, killed, doesn't mean we're trying to turn it into flag football. I get so bloody annoyed with that because people say, ooh, flag football, why don't they put dresses on and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so do you want people dropping dead in games? Do you want a game getting canceled in the middle because someone died on the field because they got targeted with the head? and uh, it broke their neck and killed them instantly? Because if they don't crack down on hits like that, I guarantee you that's going to happen. 
and I don't know about anyone else, and I don't want to do that. That doesn't mean we're taking contact out or hitting out. There's an old saying, play smarter, not harder. You can still have lots of contact in it. You can have still have lots of big hits. You don't have to target the fr- the freaking head. Now, I know they've got some new, new um, rules down in the NFL, and they are maybe taking the rules a little bit to the extreme the other way. But you can't touch a guy anymore in the NFL. Well, it's just getting ridiculous. Some of the stuff they got down there is ridiculous. But at the same time, if you're going to go out and target the head and start laying headshots, you're going to get suspended. And I called Kyrie Zaber earlier today. I called him a thug, and I meant it. He is a thug. He has been repeatedly suspended for for dangerous hits. He, um, of course, we all know what he did to John Cornish, uh, and the, and ever since then, and he's not changing. He does the same thing. The suspensions don't matter to him. And Nick Lewis, I like Nick Lewis. I've been a fan of Nick Lewis for many years. He's been on this podcast with us before. But boo freaking who? If you don't want to get fined, don't don't throw dirty hits. Don't target guys' heads. I'm not going to give any. I'm not going to have any sympathy for that guy. He did it to himself. What do you want? You just say, oh well, don't do it next time. Give him a slap on a wrist. Well, they're already suspending a guy, and it's not having any effect. So why maybe as well just slap him on the wrist? I'm sorry. If he gets suspended again, I want him gone for the rest of the season. And if he does it, does it again after that. Kick him out of the league. If he's a guy that's injuring players and and making it dangerous for people, don't have him in your league. And uh, I'm so tired of these people that do, that just don't get it. And it's not a matter of making it flag football or taking contact. It's a matter of keeping guys to, A, have long enough careers so they can make some money, and, B, not be having to watch somebody die on the field. Because I don't know about you guys, I'm not really interested in seeing that, and I hope nobody else is either. So it's about making the game safer and not having someone running around throwing cheap shots. All right. You know, so. and if you you look at if you look at some of the players around the CFL, okay, let's take let's take a guy like Alex Singleton. Alex Singleton is a hard nosed old school football player, and I'm thinking when he hits you. You feel it, okay? But if you watch the guy tackle people, he's got great technique. He wraps himself around people. He doesn't go for the hit without wrapping them. And I guarantee you they feel his hits when he, oh, when sure. he tackles people. But most of the time he's, he's around the chest or below the waist, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Right. I, I just, it's from people who, who just don't know, and they say things that are just plain and simply stupid, so. Densky mm-hmm. had one of those hits against him yesterday in, in the Bomber game. Yeah. Uh, he was returning, a, I think it was a punt, and he got just erased. But it was a perfectly clean hit. The guy mm-hmm. wrapped him up with his left arm and just drove him down. And that's how you hit. You don't put your hands behind your back 
and lead with your head after you've jumped. He turns himself into a missile when he does that. You know, Christopher and some others like to go after Loeffler because of some of his hits. I have yet to see Loeffler leave his feet, put his arms at his side, and lead with his helmet. The Manny one was, you know, we can argue that one for the rest of our lives. But You and Christopher will. So Mm -hmm. We can call that, let's call it questionable and leave it at that. Mm -hmm. It's questionable. Kyrie's Hey Bears hits are not questionable. There's nothing, they're cheap shots. There's nothing questionable about it. And that's not even bringing up what he did to Cornish. So, like, come on. Eventually, I'm wondering if the CFL just keeps hoping he's going to retire every year. And that way he'll just go away. But my big thing is, 20 years from now, when his brain is scrambled from all these head hits that he's given out, is he going to try to sue the league if that stuff's still going on? And to me, it's like, sorry, dude, you did this to yourself. Yeah, 100%. he's been out there leading with his head. Yep. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with huge hits. That's what football is. It's about hitting the guy as hard as you can. And you're not trying to injure him, but when you jump up from a huge hit, you're sure as hell hoping he's down on the ground going, oh, my God, that hurt. But you're not trying to injure him, like, full out like that. It's just ridiculous. Anybody else? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I just, uh, I'm tired of it. Uh, and I'm tired of the people that try to stick up for crap like that because it's, it's not necessary in this game. And, uh, we want players to have long long uh, careers, and we want them to be able to walk uh, when they're after 50 and not be uh, not be confined to a wheelchair. I mean, look at some of the guys from uh, previously uh, when, uh, got, like back in the 60s and 70s and 80s when headshots no one gave a damn about, and you see some of these guys in wheelchairs. Uh, when they're 52 years old because of so many, so much head trauma, that's what we're trying to prevent. So we're trying to keep these guys with a good quality of life after they get out of the, get out of the, um, uh, the game and stuff like that. It's not about taking contact. There's still going to be plenty of contact in it. Just don't target people's heads. There's no point to doing that. So. All right. Anyone else uh, with anything on to add on this topic? Yeah, I think we've beaten this one to death pretty good. I think probably you're right. So yep. we will move on to our next item of business, uh, which I think we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, Matt. Once again, Matt Nichols had another lackluster performance against the Saskatchewan Roughriders this past weekend. Is it time, finally, for Michael Shea to make a change? Now, we talked about Matt Nichols. Uh, he was 14 of 26 for 166 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, so um, he's come under fire for some of his comments recently. 
And then he goes out in this big Labor Day game and kind of lays an egg again, and they lose. Uh, is it time for Mike O'Shea to give Chris Trevler, um a start behind center just to see what he can do? Bombers have now lost, I believe, three in a row, so they're in danger of this uh, season slipping away from them. So is it time to see what uh, Strebler can do as a starter? He looked decent early in the year. Mark, this is your team, so let's um, let's see what you think about this one. <sighs> I've been bouncing this around because I, I was pretty positive it was going to be on the show anyway, so I've been thinking about it. Plus, on some of the other Facebook pages I'm on, oh, boy especially the Bomber pages right now. Um, Matt Nichols might as well be Drew Willie on some of those pages. <laughs> um, I, <coughs> I want him to start. I think he should start in the Banjo Bowl with a very, like, first quarter style short leash. And the problem is if he starts at home, especially in the Banjo Bowl, where, let's just say the beer flows really well at that game. It's a party. Yes. And the Bomber fans, for the majority, already hate him now. It, it's gone past that they're pissed off at him. It's basically hate is really what it's coming out to. That's the problem with a passionate fan base, a really passionate fan base like we do or Saskatchewan has where it's – if he doesn't play well, he is going to get booed every time he comes out on the field, every time he goes off the field. And obviously that's not going to help his psyche any better. But if we start Strebler, and let's face it, Saskatchewan has a decent defense. If we start Strebler and he throws a pick six right away, then what? It's not like you can groom a kid in the banjo bowl. You can take it easy with him. You've got to use your full offense that you would with Nichols. So I really think Nichols should start, but with a short leash. And I think they brought him back too fast, or he brought himself back too fast. He has no confidence. He did run a little bit yesterday, which was good to see. He did have a couple of rushes that were designed and not necessarily him scrambling to get the hell out. But it's, I don't know what's happened to him. If he's just lost all his confidence or if this is what he is. But I do think he deserves a chance, one more chance. I give him one more. And like I say, if after the first quarter, he's not, if he's doing nothing, then, yeah, you obviously, you have to get Strebler in there because then there's the, we have the bye week after that, and you can fully install Strebler into the starting offense slower. It's, you know, it's one of those I've been trying to look at it and not being a Bomber fan. Like, I've been trying to say, think to myself, well, if Lule was sucking right now in B.C., do you put Jennings in? Or, you know, Calgary, Boley of I. Mitchell plays three straight horrible games and the Calgary loses all three games. Did they put out Arbuckle? You know, just trying to do it from a logic level-headed instead of putting the emotions in. And even then, I still think Nichols, 
not necessarily deserves to start, but should start. I just, I worry about a kid that's three games into his career. He's 23 years old, and he's in that kind of an atmosphere, whether it's in Saskatchewan or in Winnipeg. Yes, he's played in college and big crowds and big games, but it's it's a really wild, crazy atmosphere where the fans will turn on you in a heartbeat. And if they turn on Strebler, what does that do to his confidence for the rest of the season when we may need him? So I really do think Nickel needs to start with a short leash, a very short leash. I give him one quarter. If he's doing nothing or he throws another pick six, then yeah, you got to take him out. And then I don't know if I'd put him back in. If Strebler is even only okay or even only mediocre, I would keep him in then. You know, really, I think this game coming up, if Nichols does play, which, let's face it, it's O'Shea, he's probably going to play. If he does, this could be the make it or break it for him in Winnipeg. And next stop, what, Montreal? Um, I... <laughs> you got you know? Saskatchewan next week, so... But no, I mean, next stop, is, is he going to be playing in Montreal? Oh, I see. Yeah, well, maybe. Like, I don't know. He, I think Montreal likes Pipkin a lot. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like this yep. could be it for him in Winnipeg. This it next could game. be. And I do think you know he did lead us to two playoff years, two straight playoffs. Didn't win a game, but did lead us to the playoffs two straight years after we never make the playoffs. So right. in that regard, yes, he should play. But again, I throw that caveat in one quarter. If he's playing horrible after first quarter, yank him and you don't put him back in. That's it. You have to move on. Go ahead. Go, Will. What do you think, Will? Um, what do I think? Well, ah, you know what? I'm I'm kind of torn here because I, I think if you start. Matt Nichols, or you start Chris Trebler, and something happens to him, Matt Nichols is going to have a hard time getting his confidence back. I, uh, once again, this is a team game, and I think you got to go with the guy who's got experience, and in this case, that's Matt Nichols. And I think you give him one more chance, you let him play Labor Day, or the Banjo Bowl at Winnipeg, see how he looks, and then decide from there because let's put it this way. If you start Strebler in any of these games, he has to be your starter from this point on. And then what does that tell you about that? Matt Nichols is he out of Winnipeg next year? I mean, I think the problem with Winnipeg in the last 28 years is consistency and, you know, you have to be consistent all the way around with your players and, and so on and so forth. But unless Matt Nichols shows us a lot more, I don't think you're ever going to win a great cup with Matt Nichols. And I'm just saying I'd like to think you could, but I don't think it's going to happen. So why not cut your losses now and start Strebler? And now we know what direction you're going in. 
And but I'm just thinking two or three games that Strebler, you know, started in the first part of the year. I I don't know if that shows you enough where you want to waste, you know, the best quarterback you've had in a while. And don't forget, um, they don't have anybody else out there besides Matt Nichols. So. I don't know. I'm torn between it. I, I would probably start him in the next game and see what he does. So, there you go. In the last two games, Matt Nichols has thrown a total of 70 passes. In the last two games, Chris Trevler has thrown a total of two passes. They have the same number of touchdown passes, two. Matt Nichols is right now not playing with any confidence. I know Will saying it's going to be hard for him to get his confidence back. It looks to me like he's already lost his confidence. He's playing really, really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not scared, but jittery. He's playing to just try not to make a mistake. The problem is, a lot of times when you play like that, you end up making more mistakes. Case in point, uh, after Saskatchewan went ahead 31-23, to uh, the Bombers got the kickoff, and they still had over a minute left. I think they had about a minute seven or something like that. That's enough play for at least five or six. That's enough time for at least five or six plays. You can go down the field pretty quickly on that. The very first play of the drive... Nichols throws the interception to Ed Ganey. Game over. And it was a terrible pass. It wasn't anywhere close to the intended receiver. He wasn't composed at all. And this is why I say he um, he looks quite um, rattled. He looks shaken. He needs time on the bench, I think. He needs the time to just kind of sit back, let Strebler play, and just kind of watch what's going on out there. He needs to take a step back. Because right now he's playing with jitters. And he's not looking good. And when you've got a quarterback that plays like that, the more you play him, the more jittery he gets. So... This is why I'm saying, you know what, you got to – I I personally would start Strebler for a game. If he's not doing well, uh, if he's is struggling, you can go right back to Matt Nichols and let him go in. And then he's got the benefit of, you know, seeing what's going out on the field. Maybe that's beneficial to him. We've seen times where in games coaches will yank the starter and put the backup in for a few series, and let him survey what's going on. Well, this is no different. It could just start, Traveler. I don't think you've got anything to lose at this point. You're already sliding down the standings. You've lost three in a row. The team needs some sort of spark to pick them up. And it doesn't seem like Matt Nichols is um, providing that spark. And if Andrew Harris is any sort of serious type of injury, they're going to need a spark even more because that's taking a major weapon out of their arsenal. 
So if I if it were me, I personally would um I personally would quite frankly start Strebler. I think it's at least worth a try at this point because things are going bad very quickly for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and you can't continue this slide or they're going to find themselves not in fourth, they could end up down in fifth in the basement because yes, BC is four game is four points behind Winnipeg, but the Lions also have two games in hand. So if they make up those two games and they win those both games, guess what? They're even in points, and that can change things. So I honestly would start Strebler. If he struggles, you put Nichols in, but uh, I don't know. It's, um, um, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I honestly think that um, Nichols probably will start in the Banjo Bowl. I just personally wouldn't do it. But I'm not the coach. They don't pay me to it, so it's entirely up to um, it's entirely up to my, Matt, um, Mike O'Shea, and he has shown himself to be loyal to Matt Nichols. So I think that Nichols will Nichols will get the start this week. I think what's hurting Nichols too, though, is lack of production from the receivers. You know, going into the season with uh, with yeah. Bowman and a few other guys and Dressler, and it was like, okay, good, we finally got some good receivers. This Wallaturski kid, huh? he looks decent. You know, he's going to need to learn the game, but he looks decent. Well, Hamilton had two hundred yard receivers tonight, right? Winnipeg's had one on the season. One. Yep. Yeah, a guy with Darvin Adams' talent should have more than one 100-yard game. I really, you know, the receivers are not helping him. You see a lot of good teams. When they have the good receiving core, their quarterback struggling. Their receivers work extra hard to help the quarterback. The only guy I see helping Matt Nichols right now is Andrew Harris. You can't ask Andrew Harris to do any more than he has for this team. The other guys, like Walutarski, I think has played well. But he's not your 120-yard receiver. He's not going to get you 30 yak yards after a catch. That's Darvin Adams' job. He's supposed to make these tough catches. So what does he do? He goes out and makes a really tough catch in the corner of the end zone on Strevler's touchdown pass, which was only a touchdown because Adams put both feet in within about two inches of the sideline. That ball was thrown about five yards wide, and Adams stretched and caught it. But yet when Nichols is thrown in the ball, right in the numbers, He drops it, or he throws a ball that's a little high. Washington goes and tips it right up, right into the Saskatchewan defensive back's hands for a pick six. Mm -hmm. And that gets put on Nichols' stat. So the receivers aren't helping him either. And I I think that's a big Uh, thing. I don't know what's going on. I will agree with you there because I think, quite frankly, they are – uh, they're not a very, they're not great at receiver. 
Right now, uh, I think we have probably the worst or second worst receiving core in the CFL. Yeah. Montreal might have the worst. Might. But we'd be right beside mm-hmm. them. So. Yep. And at this point in his career, Dressler shouldn't be the main reason. Dressler being injured shouldn't be the main reason that Nichols no. isn't getting these completions. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Dressler's still good, but at this point in his career, he shouldn't be the number one guy. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's just a combination of shite at receiver, and Nichols has zero confidence. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I think that's about it. Will, you got anything else on here? No, I'm good. All right. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we're done with that one, so we will move on to our next topic of conversation, which is another (coughs) quarterback-related one. Where were we here? Okay, so the Montreal Alouettes have won back-to-back games for the first time this season. First time in a long time, actually, uh, with Antonio Pipkin at quarterback. So should Montreal be leaving Johnny Manziel on the sidelines and ride the uh, hot hand as long as they can? Now, I know people are going to say, well, of course they should. It's Johnny Manziel. Is, or Of course they should. The guy's winning games and stuff like that. But with the investment they're making in Johnny Manziel and all the big publicity and so on, I think they're going to get pressure from above to play him. I really do, even though Pipkin's playing well. But what do you think? Should they resist the temptation to put Manziel back in and go back and just stick with Pipkin as long as they can? Will, what do you think? Well, as I mentioned before, I would go with Pipkin until he loses. Um you know, Johnny Manziel hasn't showed me that much. And I know they've invested money, but I, I do believe it's based on playing time. And so, I mean, I know they say you can't lose your job from injury, but he'd only he'd only played two games. He'd only played two games anyways. I thought that job was up for grabs. And... uh I think a guy like Pipkin, what he's shown so far, I mean, that could be shut down in the next game he plays, but I I wouldn't uh I would go with I would go with Pipkin 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 until he failed. And then I would think about a quarterback change. But yeah, I, I don't think they should go with Manziel. And if they're on a bye this week you know, they Johnny does have time to get better again. But I still think they should go with Pipkin, so that's all I got to say. Mark, what do you think? I think they have to go with Pipkin. You know, yeah, they've invested a lot of time and money into Manziel, but like Will said, it's probably playing based for the money which will help them with their salary cap issues at the end of it. But you can't sit a guy who's won you two games in a row. You just you can't. 
I know it's Montreal and you never know what they're going to do, but just logic states until mm-hmm. he loses, you have to keep him in. Has he thrown for 400 yards or even 350 or 300? No. But he's got that team fired up. He's got them showing emotion. The defense is playing well. Who knows, possibly because of the emotion and everything that he shows. Like, I love how he makes a good run or something. He gets up and he gets right at whoever he ran into. And I think he... You have to go with that. And further on in the article, it says that, you know, they could keep Manziel to the end of the year and then cut cut him at the end of the year, cut their losses and make an agreement, and he can go down to either the Alliance League or he'd be a perfect fit for the XFL because of who's in there now and everything else. But the XFL has also said they will not hire players with any kind of record. Now, I know Johnny hasn't been officially charged and convicted of stuff, and that's why he's in the CFL. But that's not the image that they want to portray in the new XFL. So I don't know if he's a good fit for them. So it would be the Alliance League, whatever it's called. And I think that's what he was planning on doing anyway, was just getting up here, getting game time in, and then obviously trying to go back to the States. Right. So really, if Pistons playing well, let him sit. You don't owe him anything, really. Mm-hmm. You traded for the guy, but that doesn't mean you have to play him. If Pipkin comes out and shits the bed for two games, like if he shits the bed the next time they play and then starts off the next game really bad, then obviously you put Manziel in. But I think he's deserved a chance to have a shitty game and still Mm -hmm. be the starter. He's got a two-game winning streak. When's the last time a quarterback for the Alouettes had a two-game winning streak? Sometime last year? And was it the same quarterback that won two in a row if they even did win two in a row last year? Mm-hmm. So I think he deserves it. You, you know, you have to go, you have to swallow your pride and go, yeah, we brought this kid in and he was getting people excited because of his name. But the fans have seemed pretty excited about Pipkin as well. You know, they were all jacked up, too, the, the last home game. So you got to leave them in, I think. But it is Cavus Reed and Wettenhall. So who the hell knows? You, yeah. know, you could be right in that Wettenhall may say, look, we brought this guy in, you have to play him. But, who, you know, you don't know what goes on with those guys. But that's about it. Go ahead, Charles. Uh... I really think you've got to um, stay with Pipkin right now. He seems to have come in and energized this team. Um, you, you see how um, how he reacts and so on um, when this team is um, uh, he's get jacked up. He's in his face. Now, is he spectacular? No, I'm not saying he's spectacular, but he is. Um, been very steady. He's been very. Uh, he hasn't hurt them. 
and he's come in, he's moved the ball, and he's done better, really, when you look at it. He has done better than anybody else um, in that has started for this team, including Johnny Manziel. I know Johnny Manziel had a, a couple of games where he looked pretty good, but he didn't look as good as Pipkin did. So I think you go back and I think you um, you keep going with him until he, at least until he loses. And then maybe if he loses, if he has an off game, then you've got the option of going back to Johnny Manziel. I know they made a lot of uh, waves bringing Manziel in. I know they're paying him a lot of money. They're probably paying him a lot more than they're paying Pipkin. Um, but at the same time, you got to look at it and say who gives you the best chance to win. And right now, I think the I think it's obvious the guy who gives you the best chance to win is Pipkin because he is winning games for you. So if it's me, I'm thinking you know what, uh, you I like Johnny Manziel. I want to see him play some more. But right now, when we're still in the mix as far as uh, playoffs in the East, and this guy's winning us games. I think you got to go with him. I just think it makes sense. I know you're paying a lot of money to him, but at the same time, you've got to uh, you've got to go where where the um, where the win, where, what's going to get you wins. And I think you're going to get wins with uh, with Pipkin right now. So I think he gives you the best option. No, agreed. Mhm. Yep. I mean, is he the most consistent quarterback they've had since uh, Anthony Calvillo? I mean, let's face it. So far, I would they, say yes. Who have they had for quarterbacks in the last five years? They had five I mean, this year, didn't they? Well, they've had... I think it was some stat they've had 15 quarterbacks in the last two years or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and I mean, this guy is only 23 years old. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking if Johnny Manziel starts the next game, every team in the CFL tries to trade for this Pipkin guy. Yeah. You know. Because he could be a star of the future. You never know. He could be. Well, and and is it is it really Pipkin, or is it the superior play calling of Kahari Jones? I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb, and I'm just gonna still say it's Pipkin, uh, okay. based on my history with Kahari Jones. Uh, he's but, not my but, favorite guy in the world. But a guy like Pipkin is a Kahari Jones kind of guy because that guy can chuck that ball 60 yards down the field without even He's trying hard. He's got an arm on him without any question, yeah. He does so. <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with that. But uh, I'm not ready to give a bunch of credit to Kahari Jones. Sorry, Kahari, that's just kind of how I feel. And I, I wonder... Uh, I wonder. work. You know, Mike Sherman, I don't know, maybe, who knows? Who knows what the whole political dynamic of things. And in reality, has uh, Manziel, I mean, Manziel has, was dressed in the last game, was he not? Yes, he was. 
I believe he was, yes. So, yeah. there you go. But I mean, if nothing else, this is an advantage for Montreal to give Manziel extra time to recover from his concussion. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, you know, in the CFL right now, um, you know, some of the quarterbacks in the CFL are getting up there, and we need some new guys. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like I told you guys last week, the rumor in Calgary is that this is Bo Levi's last year in the CFL. So, we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll still be- you know what? I'll still believe that when I see it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm not convinced. But we'll see. Yep. All right. So let's move on <laughs> to the next topic. Let's talk CFL. All right, so earlier this week, uh, the polling outfit Angus Reed, not the former offensive lineman for the BC Lions, came out. Uh, they did. They've been doing polling of the viewing habits of Canadians when it comes to professional football, and talking about the difference between the CFL and the NFL. <coughs> so. I don't know. Did either of you guys get a chance to look at some of these polls that they put out? No, I didn't look at this. I'm looking at it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, Mark. Did, it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, some of the things that caught my eye in this one. Well, first of all, the highest percentage. One of the things that I can the highest percentage of Canadian men who follow the CFL over the NFL. Are males fifty-five plus? Did that surprise any? Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. I'm looking. This was an old one. Sorry, uh, but it's. Um, hold on a second. Yeah, males fifty-five plus. So thirty-nine percent of all fifty-five plus males, thirty-nine uh, percent um, follow the CFL, thirty-two percent follow the NFL. And the lowest number of people that follow the CFL, big surprise here, is the 18 to 34. Only 16% said that they follow closely the NFL to 23% who closely follow. Or so 16% say they follow the CFL, while 23% follow the NFL. And my generation, the 35 to 54, we're right there in the middle but still, 37% follow the NFL, while 29 follow the CFL. So, anything about that stick out to you? Not really. Like, I'm not surprised that the younger generation follows the NFL more. What What do they spend on their hype machine? About a billion dollars a year? I know. Yeah, and what a does lot. the CFL spend? Let's face it. When you watch a football game on TV, six. you see the yeah. same six commercials. All game long. Mm-hmm. The NFL spends more on their pre-game show than the CFL does on the Grey Cup. Yep. We're never going to be able to compete with that. And this generation, it's about perceived excitement, being yeah. told over and over and over 
they're the Super Bowl champion isn't just like the Grey Cup champion is the Grey Cup champion. The Super Bowl champion is the world. The world champion. the champion. Hello, you didn't really play anybody from a different country. It really annoys me when they say that because they do the same thing with the NBA too. Yep, it's not a world championship, but when you have that hype driv- driven into you, driven into you, they have their own football sport. <laughs> You know, like the Super Bowl game alone, what is there, nine hours of coverage before the game even starts? Yep. Yeah, we The CFL will never be able to compete with that. And that does affect the younger generation. Of course. You know, and when Will and I were younger, it wasn't on 14 different channels watching 14 different games with the NFL Sunday ticket. Mm-hmm. You didn't have that. You watched the three games that were on, and a lot of times it was the same game. Yep. And they have, what, 30 teams? 32 teams or something? 32 teams. We have nine, nine. sometimes eight, sometimes eight, maybe ten. It's just it's a generational thing. As the kids, the kids get older, they do start to go to the CFL. Hell, at one time, I could have named you every single starting player for the Dallas Cowboys back in the um, Robert Newhouse and Staudak and Danny White and all those guys, and I probably could have named you six Bombers. It's It's the hype. Always will be. And I don't know about anywhere else, but in Winnipeg, there is a lot of young kids at the games that have jerseys on, whether they're boys or girls, there's a lot of kids under 12 at the games with their with their parents. Yeah. You know, and like the funniest stat in that thing, it, it, those polls, is, yeah, gee, the CFL is most popular in Saskatchewan. 82%. You really needed a poll, really need poll for that? Yeah. <laughs> but it is what concerning. I found really interesting, what I but what I found really interesting about that one, I, I'm just actually I've got that graph up right here, and the CFL is more popular in all of the western provinces until you get to Ontario, even yep. in BC where they you know we've got a team just down the road a couple hours down the highway that just won a Super Bowl a few years ago, the Seattle Seahawks. But even in BC, of the people that were polled, 50% prefer the CFL to 32 with the NFL. But then you hit uh, Ontario, only 27% prefer the CFL, 32% in Quebec. And then the Atlantic provinces, they say uh, Halifax wants CFL. Well, it's only 39% there. Mhm. Is that really sound like an area that really is clamoring for the CFL? And the Eastern Television Networks, your TSN, your Rogers, and that they don't help. Yes, TSN has given a, the CFL a boatload of money. Yep. But you know they're always harping about the small crowds in Toronto. Toronto yep. Blue Jays are averaging ten thousand a game. Yeah, you look. You watch a but Blue Jays game. But unless you read the article, 
You and the stands know. are empty. Yeah. But you wouldn't know from the broadcasters. No, they don't bring it up. No, it's never said how horrible their fan base is there. The biggest fan base in Toronto is obviously the soccer. And, you know, everybody's always doing these, how do we get the fans to the games? There was a big thing on Let's Talk, I think it was on the Let's Talk CFL page, it might have been on another one, about getting the younger generation involved and how do we do it. And I was kind of blasted a little bit because I said, you bring, you give the immigrants cheaper discounted tickets or even free tickets like they do here in Winnipeg and because they don't know the game. They know soccer. They don't know American football. Mm-hmm. So to get them to come to the games, you bring a whole family, you give them a discounted ticket or free concessions, you know, treat them really good, and show them that this is what the game is, and it's just as entertaining as soccer, if not more entertaining for you. And that's how you can get these and get these numbers up. You know, of course, the numbers being down in the East. I think it's always been that way, really, where it's more popular in the West. The East is always, oh, we got to be NFL. Well, we saw that experiment with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was empty seats everywhere. So, it is weird. You know, I, I think in this day and age, number one, the NFL hypes everything. Um, a lot of the younger guys are into gambling and fantasy football. And let's face it, it's huge fantasy football stuff in the NFL and, and the sport, uh, the sport check or whatever the hell it is called that kind of gambling stuff. I think that's pretty popular. There is about a 10 year period in my life where I didn't watch much CFL. That was probably between, you know, between 19 and say 26, 27. And, and the reason for that was I was more interested in, in doing the bar scene and I wasn't going to waste a Saturday night going to a CFL football game. I wasn't going to waste a Friday night or a Thursday night. And I used to watch a lot of NFL back then because NFL was always on on Sundays. And Sunday was usually my day to recover from the six days I spent at the bar before that. And I used to lay on the couch all day Sunday and watch NFL football. And you probably watched American College on Saturday before you went out. There you go. And I did watch all that stuff. There was a point in my life where I could name every offensive line on every NFL team for like a 10 or 15 year period. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the other thing that, that comes about is the hype. And a perfect example is I remember I've got a nephew in Winnipeg. He's about, he's 27. Now I remember Winnipeg got a quarterback um, when he was 18 and his name was, T. Martin. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. My my nephew called me, and he told me absolute, totally, it was all over. Winnipeg signed this T. Martin guy, and he was going to make the Bombers win a Grey Cup. And 
I don't think he spent more than a season and a half in Winnipeg because he was not horrible. very good. No, he was not horrible. very good at all. <laughs> and but but he read the hype in in yep. the magazines and stuff like that. And I'm not going to tell you I didn't get drawn into that too when I was a younger guy because I did. And now as I I get older, you see the big picture and you know what's good and what's bad. And uh, I mean, I still watch the NFL as as much as I like the CFL, but I don't really start watching the NFL till the CFL season is over. I mean, I'll watch the occasional game, but not very many. And it's just, you know, it, it's, and I'm not going to say the CFL is better or the NFL is better. It's a different game. And it I is. like football and, and I watch I both. And I, and I still I still try and watch American college football because I really love the hype of American college football. I do too. I was watching and, it yesterday. Yeah, and I think those games are, are awesome. Okay. So yep. but I if I if I had to if someone said there was no football you could only watch one league, I would watch the CFL, hands down. So Yep. You know, I just find it more exciting. And, I mean, there's been seasons that have not been that great. I don't consider – I haven't considered this a great CFL season because I, I think there are a lot of weak teams this year. But, uh, I think there's a lot of know. parody. Yeah, there is. And, well, like uh, we keep saying, the, there's Calgary and then there's everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very accurate. Yeah, it is very accurate. But uh, I still – you know, I've been to – I've been to numerous NFL games, and if you've been to any of those stadiums, those stadiums are cavernous. Okay, mm-hmm. it's like it's like they're massive, and you don't get the same feeling as you get, for example, when I'm sitting in the stands in Calgary, because I know everybody around me, and the field is right there. And and it's just uh, it's a homegrown thing, and I and I just love it. So, yeah, you know, I All mean, right. I think as 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 people get older or younger, or older, they start to appreciate those things more. So, mm-hmm. go ahead. Charles. All right, I'm going to have to jump in here because we've got two minutes left in the show. And Ooh. quickly before we go, I do want to uh, just do one kind of a shout out uh, to the cheerleaders of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, I w- Wish we had a little bit more time to talk about this, but uh, recently the BC Lions cheerleaders, uh, the Fee Lions, lost one of their members to breast cancer. Her name was Mary Baquez, or Baquez, I uh, hope I pronounced that right. Uh, she recently passed away due to breast cancer, and the Ottawa uh, Red Black cheerleaders did a very classy thing this past week in their home game. They performed with orange pom-poms uh, in her memory, and they also put out a statement uh remembering her, so I just wanted to give a shout-out. I thought that was a very classy gesture by the Ottawa Red Blacks uh, and their cheerleaders, so um, uh, I just wanted to give um, notify that. Uh, as it is, we're just over a minute left in this show, so I'm going to quickly say goodnight. Uh, this has been Let's Talk CFL, episode 277. I've been your fill-in host, Charles Cliff, uh, filling in for Christopher Jones, who is unavailable tonight. Uh, I've had Mark and uh, Will with me. Let's just uh, quickly say goodnight. we got less than a minute. Uh, start with Mark, then we'll go to Will. 
Good night, everybody. Talk to you on Wednesday. BC sucks. We didn't even play this week. You guys lost. Will, your your time. Good night, everybody. It was a great weekend of football. Make sure you watch next week because all the games are almost the same once again. Yep. And uh, go Owls. All right, uh, so just a few seconds here. Hey, uh, the summer holidays is over. School goes back. That means the traffic's going to be getting worse. But you know what? It's been a fun summer, and I'm looking forward to what the CFL has for us in the fall. This is when a lot of people say the real season begins. We're going to find out soon. Thank you very much. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.